these night services where we get to go through the Bible and just go verse by verse, Lord. And there's no agenda. There's, we're just letting your uh, words uh, set the sermon. And we're just trying to study it. Lord, help us to be able to apply these truths into the lives of everybody here. Help everybody to be attentive. Help nobody to be a distraction. And Lord, we love you in your precious name I pray. Amen. Okay, well we find ourselves there in Genesis chapter number 20. And, you know, we, we read the story. And I don't know if you, you caught some of it. Uh, if you understood all of it. But let me just go through the story a little bit. So, just so you understand what's going on. In verse 1 it says, And Abraham journeyed from thence toward the south country, and dwelt between Kadesh and Shur, and sojourned in Gerar. So the Bible says that Abraham sojourns in this country, uh, this nation named Gerar. And Abraham said of Sarah his wife, She is my sister. And Abimelech, the king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. So they get to this country, and Abraham uh, says of his wife, he says this, he tells the people, this is my sister. He doesn't tell them he's married to them because he's afraid that, uh, because he said in another chapter that Sarah was so fair to look upon, he was afraid that the people would kill him because of his wife and want to take his wife. Um, and the Bible says in verse 3, but uh, let's see. I'm sorry, verse 2. And Abraham said of Sarah's wife, she is my sister. And then Abimelech, who's the king of this nation, Abirah, he sent and took Sarah because he thought she was single. He thought she was just uh, Abraham's sister who was traveling with him. So he, as a king, said, I want to marry her. So he took her from Abraham. In verse 3, but God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, thou art but a dead man for the woman which thou hast taken, for she is a man's wife. So God says, Hey, look, that's, some, that's somebody's wife. And I don't want you marrying somebody's wife. Uh, and he said, I'm going to kill you if you continue on with this. And Abimelech, he didn't know that. And the Bible says in verse 4, but Abimelech had not come near her. So he hadn't had a relationship, a physical relationship with her. And he said, Lord, would thou slay also a righteous nation? And he says, said he not unto me, she is my sister. So he's, he's saying, look, Abraham said unto me, he's my sister. And, and he says, and she, even she herself said, he is my brother. And he says, in the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands have I done this. He's saying, God, I didn't know that she was married. She, he said that that was his sister. And she said that that was her, her, her brother. He said, I didn't know that. And God said unto him in a dream, Yea, I know that thou didst this in the integrity of thy heart, for I also withheld thee from sinning against me. Therefore suffered I thee not touch him. So, so touch her. So God said, Look, I knew, I know you did this in the integrity of your heart. I know you weren't trying to do anything wrong. He said, Give the woman back to her husband. Abimelech goes to Abraham. He says, Why did you do this? Why, you know, you 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 caused us a lot of pain. You could have this could have been very bad if I would have actually had a relationship with her. And he's kind of reproving Abraham and saying, Why did you do this? And Abraham, in verse 10, uh, actually verse 11, the Bible says, And Abraham said, Because I thought surely the fear of God is not in this place. So he said, Look, I thought for sure this nation, that the fear of God wasn't here. You guys didn't care about, you know, God and what God had to say. And he said, I, I thought that you would slay me for my wife's sake. And, ye and yet indeed, and then look at what Abraham says in verse 12. He says, And yet indeed she is my sister. She is the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. Now you got to understand, Genesis is before the book of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. God gives the law to Moses, and the Moses, you know, in the law, God gives these rules where you're not supposed to marry your, you know, sister and your brother and your aunt and your uncle. And God goes through all that in Leviticus, very detailed. But here's the thing, alright guys, 
That, that's it with the, 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 the napkins, okay? No, no more napkins. Everybody has enough. So just, let's, not, it doesn't matter who do it. Let's just pay attention and have church, all right? So here's the thing. Those rules come in, ex, you know, in Leviticus. You know, Moses brings those rules. But, here's, but up to that point, that wasn't law. So men were free to marry their sister. I know that sounds weird, but that's just how it was. Because there was less people on earth at this time. Now, here's the thing. Um, you know, Sarah was Abraham's sister, but not of both of his parents. He says, you know, she is the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. So they did this whole thing, this whole thing blew up in their face. Now here's the funny thing about this story, is that this is not the first time that this happened to Abraham and Sarah. Now keep your uh, spot there in Genesis chapter number 20, and go back with me to Genesis chapter number 12, okay? Genesis chapter number 12, and look at verse number 10. Genesis chapter number 12, and look at verse 10. And I want to show you something very interesting. Genesis 12.10, and we talked about this before when we were in Genesis chapter 12, but look at it again. Genesis chapter number 12 and verse 10. The Bible says, And there was a famine in the land, and Abraham went down into Egypt to, to sojourn there, for the famine was grievous in the land. And it came to pass, when he was come near to enter into Egypt, that he said unto Sarai his wife, Behold now, I know that thou art a fair woman to look upon. Therefore it shall come to pass, when the Egyptians shall see thee, that they shall say, This is his wife, and they shall kill me, but they will save thee alive. Say, I pray thee, that thou art my sister, and it may be well with me for thy sake, and my soul shall live because of thee. And it came to pass that when Abram was coming to Egypt, the Egyptians beheld the woman, that she was very fair. The princes also of Pharaoh saw her, and commended her before Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And he entreated Abraham well for her sake, and he had sheep and oxen, and he asses, and men servants, and maid servants, and she asses, and camels, and the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. And Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this that thou hast done unto me? Why didst thou not tell me that she was thy wife? Why saidst thou she is my sister? So I might have taken her to me to wife. Now therefore behold thy wife, take her and go thy way. And Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away and his wife and all he had. Now that's very interesting in Genesis chapter number 12 if you see that. So what I'm trying to show you is this. In Genesis 12, Abraham, is his nose bleeding? Is that what's happening? Alright. If he needs to go to the restroom, that's fine. I didn't know his nose was bleeding. I just thought, usually with kids is what happens. One kid goes to the bathroom, then they all have to go to the bathroom. You know? So... Alright, so, but what I wanted to show you is this. In Genesis chapter number 12, Abraham tells Sarah to lie and say, don't tell him you're my wife, you're my sister. And he goes down into Egypt and the Pharaoh sees Sarah and takes Sarah to be his wife and God plagues Pharaoh and that whole thing blows up in their face. Years later, in Genesis chapter number 20, Abraham does the exact same thing in Gerar, and it blows up in his face again. Now, here's the reason, here's what happened, and here's the reason it happened. You know, this is the second time the exact same situation happened to Abraham and Sarah. But back when God had initially called out Abraham out of the earth, the Chaldees, Abraham and Sarah had made this arrangement. Now, look at Genesis chapter number 20, and look at verse 13. Genesis chapter number 20, and look at verse number 13. It says, And it came to pass... When God calls me to wander from my father's house, that I said unto her, this is Abraham speaking to Abimelech, and he said, I said unto her, his wife, this is thy kindness which thou shalt show unto me, and every place whither we shall come, say of me, he is my brother. So I want you to understand this. 
Abraham is leaving the Ur of the Chaldees. God called them out of the Ur of Chaldees. And when they're leaving, before they get to any place that they're going to, Abraham and Sarah agree on this one thing. They say, when we go to a nation, you, we're not going to tell them that we're married. You're going to tell them that I'm your brother. I'm going to tell them that you're my sister. And that way they won't kill me because they want to have you. They get to Egypt and they do that. The problem is Pharaoh sees Sarah and he likes her. So he takes her to marry her and God plays Pharaoh because he took a, the wife of Abraham and then that whole thing blows up in their face. Years later they get to Gerar and they do the same thing. Here's the problem though. When, when this deal did not work out for them in Egypt, you know back in Genesis chapter number 12 verses 10 to 20, Abraham and Sarah never had a conversation where they decided, okay, you know, this didn't work out for us, let's stop doing this. Do you see what I'm saying? Because they agreed before they are going to do this everywhere they went. So when, when it didn't work out in Egypt, they didn't say, man, let's never do that again. So when they came to Gerar, they did it again. You know, business as usual. And here's the thing, the only way to not do wrong is to purpose to not do wrong. You know, you've got to decide... You must plan not to sin. Okay? And Abraham and Sarah did not plan accordingly because when they had planned to sin before and God reproved them and God made it blow up in their face, then instead of saying, okay, let's, let's not do that again, Sarah. Let's just be truthful from now on, Sarah. And let's just let God take care of it, Sarah. They didn't uh, have that planning ahead. So when they went to Gerard, they just... Fell, you know, fell into the same trap again. They just did it again. And they came to Gerar and they just sinned again. And what we can learn from this is this. We must purpose to not sin. And you've got to make a conscious decision to not sin if you are to not sin. Now go with me to Daniel chapter number 8. Keep your finger there in Genesis 20 because we're going to be going back to it. But go with me to Daniel. If you find the big books in the Bible, uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel. Well, Lamentations is not very big, but uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel are these big prophetic books towards the end of the New Testament. After the book of Ezekiel, you'll find the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter number 1. I don't have time to read the entire story, but in Daniel, if you remember... Uh, the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, has taken all the children of the Israelites and has taken them uh, into captivity. And, they, and he's taken all the goodly children, the smart ones, the good-looking ones. And he's trying, he put, pretty much put them in like a public school system. And he's trying to like, you know, brainwash them into being, you know, part of his government. And in Daniel chapter number 1, if you look at verse 8, the Bible says... But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. So the Bible says that Daniel purposed in his heart, and Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they purposed in their heart not to defile themselves with the king, with the portion of the king's meat. Now guess who were the only four who never defiled themselves with the portion of the king's meat? Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The ones who decided before they got there that they weren't going to sin are the only ones who ended up not sinning. And I'm telling you something, you're going to have to decide before you get into the temptation, before you get into the situation, you're going to have to make a choice, Abraham and Sarah, before you get into Gerar and the fear comes upon you and you become afraid and you 
only way you're going to do right is if you decide to. You know, sin is like electricity. You say, what does that mean? Well, here's what you got to know about electricity. Some of you, you may not understand this because you, you don't work with it or whatever. But electricity always follows uh, the path of least resistance. You know, electricity will, will travel through something that is conductive. Okay, like electricity will not follow through wood. You know, it, it, but it will travel through like a metal. Okay, or through a wire. Here's why. There's more resistance in the wood than there is in the metal. You know, that's why sometimes you have like a short... You know, a short is just, if like, you know, I don't have time really to explain it all, but let's say you had like a light switch, and it, it, it just, it's on all the time, you can't turn it off. Well, the thing is that the light switch, what it does, it opens up a, a gap to where the electricity can travel. So it stops electricity from traveling, which is what turns it off. When you turn it on, it connects those wires, and then it turns it back on. You know, it, it causes, it completes a path for the electricity. Well, if you had a short, the electricity would go around that because it's going to travel in the least of path resistance. And you know, our flesh and sin is the same way. Unless you purposely put something to stop it, your flesh is going to just travel down the path of least resistance, which is always this. Sin. It's always easier to do wrong. It's always easier to lie. It's always easier to do that which you know you're not supposed to do. And especially if you don't decide beforehand that you're going to put a stop to it. Go with me to Romans chapter number 13. Let me show you another verse. Romans in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. And then the book of Romans. Romans chapter number 13. And look at verse number 14. Romans chapter number 13. And look at verse number 14. See, you got a purpose in your heart what you're going to do before you get there. Because here's the thing, okay? If you wait until Sunday morning to decide if you're going to go to church on Sunday morning, your flesh is going to want to sleep in. Your flesh is going to want to skip church. Your flesh is going to want to stay in your pajamas all day. And your flesh is more than likely going to follow the path of least resistance, which is not going to church. That's why you must purpose in your heart before Sunday morning comes. Before you're in bed on Sunday morning, you've got to just purpose in your heart, I will get up on Sunday morning, I will go to church on Sunday morning, and you decide that. You know, on Saturday night, you uh, iron your clothes, and on Saturday night, you uh, set the alarm clock, and on Saturday night, you purpose in your heart, I'm going to be in church on Sunday morning, so on Sunday morning, when the alarm clock goes up, you're not fighting with it, you've already made a choice, you've already made a decision, I will be in church. Does that make sense? Do you see what I'm trying to say? You must purpose in your heart not to defile yourself uh, with the king, with a portion of the king's meat like David did. Look at Romans chapter number 13 and verse 14. Romans chapter number 13 and verse 14. The Bible says, this is a very interesting uh, verse. You know, I want you to see it. Romans 13, 14. But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ, and look what it says, and make no provision for the flesh. To fulfill the lust thereof. The Bible says that we are to make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. You say, what does that word provision mean? Here's what it means. It means providing for a particular matter. It means the providing or the supplying of something. It means arrangement or preparation beforehand as for the doing of something, the meeting of needs, the supplying of means. Okay? God says that we are not to uh, make provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust of So God says, I don't want you to provide, I don't want you to uh, provide the needs of your flesh in order to perform sin. You know, let me put it in a practical sense. 
If you've got a problem with drinking and you're trying to quit alcohol, look, stay away from the bar. You know, people, people have this, you know, and it seems common sense, but look, if you're trying to quit alcohol and your buddy invites you and says, let's go out to the bar, now you may go into the bar and you may think, you know, well, I'm not going to drink. I'm just going to order water, you know, I'm just going to get some water and I'm just going to hang out and I'm not going to drink it out. But the thing is, once you're at the bar and everybody's drinking around you and you can smell the booze, you know, which, which I don't understand, I mean, to me it smells disgusting, but you can smell the booze, you know, then your flesh... You know, here's what you, here's what you just didn't do. You, you, here's what you did. You made provision for the flesh. You put yourself in a situation where it's going to be easy to sin. And that's what Abraham did. Abraham should have, before they got to Gerar, him and Sarah should have said, okay, last time we were in Egypt, this didn't work out for us. Let's just decide right now that we're not going to do the same thing. We're not going to lie about it. doesn't matter how afraid we are. doesn't matter how bad it looks. We're just going to trust God. But they made provision for the flesh by not deciding beforehand. And I'm just trying to tell you something. If you're going to quit something, if you're going to live righteously, if you're going to do right, you've got to decide before the situation happens how you're going to, how you're going to react, what you're going to do. That's why you ought to decide already. You know, you ought to decide. I'm not. I'm going to be. I'm going to be at every church service in the month of April. Because if you take a service by service, I'm telling you, you're going to miss the services. You know. But if you decide beforehand, you know. Come, whatever may come, I will be in church every service. Hey, you're going to be in church. You know, so you must make a choice not to sin. The Bible says, make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. So, you know, that's something we can learn from this story, is that we ought to decide before we get into the situation. If you struggle with smoking, you know, don't go out to the smoking patio. You know what I'm saying? I mean, if you struggle, if you, if, if you tr- uh, struggle with gambling... You might not want to go hang out at the casino. I'm just, you, you want to, for, you know, you got to look ahead in life and decide, I'm not going to make provision for the flesh. I'm not going to, to make plans to make it easy because your flesh will always follow the, lead, the path of least resistance. But let's go back to Genesis chapter number 20 and I want you to look at verse 3. Let me show you something else we can learn from this uh, passage. In Genesis chapter number 20, look at verse 3. Genesis chapter number 20. Let me get there myself. And look at verse 3. The Bible says, But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night, and said to him, Behold, thou art but a dead man. For the woman which thou hast taken, for she is a man's wife. Now, God is, I mean, is God serious here or not? How many times does God talk to a human being in a dream and says, Thou art but a dead man. I mean, God is saying, I'm going to kill you. And he says, for. That word for means because. He says, because the woman which thou hast taken, for she is a man's wife. You know, it angered God that Abimelech was going to marry a woman, Sarah, who was already married to another man. Now go with me to Matthew chapter number 5. Let me show you something. This morning we preached a sermon on parenting. And um, I went on a rant about divorce. But I want to talk to you a little bit more about divorce, just because I want you to see something. Now, usually I don't hit the same subject twice in one day, you know. But uh, it's in the text, so I'm just going to preach it. I figure God wants me to say it, so I'll say it. And look, I have nothing against preaching against divorce. I know that the average pastor in America no longer wants to take a stand against divorce, and nobody wants to take a stand against divorce. And I preached about it and yelled about it this morning, but uh, it's in the text, so I just want to show it to you. But look at, Abra- uh, look at Matthew chapter number 5 and look at verse 32. We saw these verses this morning, but let's just look at them again. Because God was so angered that, that He was actually 
I mean, God was so mad that he actually threatened the man to kill him. He said, I'm going to kill you. And he said, here's why I'm mad. You're marrying a woman who is already married. And in America today, you say, well, well, she was already married. You know, we don't believe in polygamy in America. But the thing is, in America, we do believe in polygamy. And I'm going to prove it to you. Because in Matthew chapter number 5 and verse 32, look at what Jesus said. Matthew 5, 32, the Bible says, But I say unto you, now I said this this morning, if you've got a red letter edition Bible, these words are in red. That means that Jesus Christ actually spoke these words. This is what Jesus said. Matthew 5, 32, But I say unto you, that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causes her to commit adultery. And look at what it says at the end of the verse. And whosoever shall marry her that is divorced, committed adultery. Now I want you to let that sink into your ears. Jesus Christ said that if you marry somebody who's divorced, you're in adultery. Now what, is, what does adultery mean? Adultery means when you are having a relationship with somebody who's already married. Okay? But God says, but here's what you say, but if they're divorced and they're not married anymore. But here's what I'm going to explain to you. Not in the eyes of God. Because to God, marriage is forever. Marriage is till death do us part. So to God, when you marry somebody, until you or the other person dies, you're married. And God says, well, I got divorced through the state. Okay? Well, you're still married. And if you... You know, marry someone else, God says, you're just, it's just adultery because you're still married. Now think about this. If God was mad with Abimelech to the point where he was going to kill him because he was marrying another man's wife, you think God is happy with somebody marrying another man's wife? He said, well, they're divorced. Well, they're not divorced according to Jesus Christ because he said, if you marry someone who's been divorced, he said, that's adultery. Why is it adultery? Because you're still married. Because God says, I consider you married. God says, you're married till death do us part. Let me tell you something. I'm telling you, I don't care if everybody's against me on this issue, because I know pastors, look, I personally know pastors who have advised people to get divorced, who will marry people who have been divorced, but the Bible says, and Jesus Christ said, that divorce and remarriage is adultery, period. I don't care what anybody says. Tell, read to me Matthew 5 through 2, and show me anything else in the Bible. You say, well, so pastor so-and-so said it was okay. Well, pastor so-and-so needs to read his Bible and get right with God, because God said, That's what the Bible says. And if God was angered with Abimelech for marrying a woman who was already married, then let me tell you, God is married with every Abimelech in America today who is going to go down an aisle and make vows with a woman who's already made those vows with another man, and God says, I'm sick of it, I'm tired of it, it's adultery. That's what God said. Go with me to, uh, I didn't write this one down. Let's see if I can find it. Well, actually, yeah, go, go with me to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter number 7. Yeah, that's where I want to go. 1 Corinthians chapter number 7. Actually, go with me to Titus. Titus. I'll show you this verse. You say, I've never heard that before. I thought once you were divorced, you were no longer married. Well, that's not what the Bible says. Did I tell you to go to Titus? Go with me to 1 Corinthians. I'm changing my mind. Sorry, I'm going off my notes, but go with me to 1 Corinthians, and I'm going to read for you 1 Timothy. That's what I'll do. Go with me to 1 Corinthians, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and Romans. 1 Corinthians chapter number 7. 
And look at verse number 10. And I'll read for you. Here's why, you know, maybe you've heard this before. I'll read these verses for you. 1 Timothy chapter number 3 and verse 10. These are the qualifications of a pastor. And the Bible says that a bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife. Vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach. One of the qualifications to be a bishop, to be a pastor, is to be the husband of one wife. In 1 Timothy chapter number 3 and verse 12, the Bible says, Let the deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children in their own house as well. Now look, if a man were to get married and divorced, and then remarried, they would be disqualified from being a bishop. They would be disqualified by, from being a pastor, because they're no longer the husband of one wife. Why are they not the husband of wife, one wife? Because they are now the husband of two wives. So see, God does not, you know, well, I got a divorce to the state of California. Well, God doesn't acknowledge the state of California or the state of whatever. God does not acknowledge divorce. So he says, okay, you got to be married. Well, now you're just the husband of two wives. And he says that you're disqualified the pastor. You know what else is interesting? Is that certain religions will actually say that in order to be a bishop, or in order to be a pastor, or in order to be a priest, you cannot be married. When the Bible very clearly says, a bishop then must be blameless, must be the husband of one wife. That's what it's saying. Because it says blameless, comma, the husband of one wife, comma, vigilant, comma, sober, comma, a good behavior, comma, given to hospitality, comma, after teach. You know what that means? That means that you must hit every one of those qualifications. Bible says to be a bishop, you must be the husband of one wife. God says you must be married, and then religion say, no, you can't get married. And I'm thinking to myself, what Bible are you reading? Good night. I mean, the Bible says you must be the husband of one wife. You know, it just makes no sense to me. But go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter number 7. Look at verse 10. 1 Corinthians chapter number 7. Look at verse 10. You say, and what I'm trying to tell you is this. In America, many people get divorced and they think, oh, I'm no longer married. But God says you are married. And then you get married again and God says, well, now you're married to two people. And that anger's gone. The Bible says, and I don't have time, when he says, I'll preach an entire sermon on it. But in the Old Testament, the Bible says that the Lord hated putting away. Putting away is, you know, the Bible term for divorce. And the Bible says that God hates it. The Bible says that God hates divorce. You say, well, what am I supposed to do? I'm, divor- I'm a divorced person. What are my options? Okay, let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter number 7, look at verse 10. I know we saw that this morning, but let's just look at it again. 1 Corinthians chapter number 7, look at verse 10. Paul says, and unto the married I command, and look what he says, yet not I, but the Lord. So who's commanding this? The Lord. Let not the wife depart from her husband. So does God want you to ever depart from your husband? Does it say, let not the wife depart from her husband unless he does drugs? Is that what it says? Does it say, let not the wife depart from her husband unless he beats her? Does it say, let not the wife depart from her husband unless he commits adultery? Unless he has a gambling problem? Unless he does whatever? Does it say that? No. It just says, let not the wife depart from her husband. And then in verse 11 it says, but and if she depart. So God understands that some people are just going to disobey anyway and do whatever they want. And look what he says. He says, but and if she depart. Look at what God says. You say, well, pastor, so and so, I don't care what any preacher or any TV preacher has said to you. Look at what Paul said under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. And he says, let her remain unmarried. Period. End of story. You say, what do you believe about, about someone who's divorced? Let her remain unmarried. That's what the Bible says. So I don't like that option. Okay, here's your next option. Or be reconciled to her husband. God says, remain unmarried. Or be reconciled to your husband. And let not the husband put away his wife. 
but to the recipe guy, not the Lord. If any brother has a wife that believeth not, and she be pleased to dwell with him, let him not put her away. Does it sound like God might be okay with divorce in certain circumstances? No. He's against it all the time. It angers God. The sin of adultery angers God to the point where he was willing to kill a man. And you know what the funny thing is? That in the book of Leviticus, God actually made it part of the Levitical law for the Old Testament Israel that if you were caught in adultery, you were to be stoned. That's what God said. He would kill a person for adultery. And, and let me tell you something. Divorce in America is adultery. Period. And people say, I don't like that. Well, don't like that all you want, but that's what the Bible says. And, you know, I mean, literally, I know of like, I personally know of two or three pastors of all the hundreds of pastors I've ever met who will stand up behind a pulpit and preach this tonight because nobody believes this anymore. But we've got to preach it either way because it's the truth. And, 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 I'll, and I'll just say the same thing to you that, I, that Paul said to, to when, when he preaches that, am I become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Said, you know, am I going to become your enemy because I tell you the truth? But let me tell you something. Pastor Roger Jimenez has no problem being your enemy if it's because I tell you the truth. Because look, I've only got one person I'm trying to please, and that is Joanne Jimenez, because that's the only woman I, I live with. I could care less if my kids are mad at me, because they can't do anything to me. But you know what? My wife could shave my eyebrows while I'm sleeping. No, I'm just kidding. You know, she could do something bad to me, so I love my wife. But the rest of you, be mad if you want. It might become your enemy because I tell you the truth. But anyway, let's go back to Genesis chapter number 20. So we can see there, we see an example where God got so mad that He actually said, and He threatened the whole nation. He said, because you're marrying a woman that has already been married. And look, it doesn't matter who it is. It, it could be Abraham, and God would be against it. So we ought to be against it. Look at uh, Genesis uh, chapter number 20. Oh, actually, go with me to Genesis chapter number 26. Look at verse 1. Genesis 26, 1. What else can we learn from the story? Well, here's what you can learn from the story. This morning we preached on purposeful parenting. Here's another uh, example of that. You know, your children are watching you. And your children may do the exact same things that you do. We read it, when we started the sermon, we saw in Genesis 12 where Abraham lied about Sarah being his wife when he went down into Egypt. And in Genesis 20, we saw that Abraham lied again about Sarah being his wife when he went with the king of Gerar, whose name was Abimelech. Now, if you are familiar with the book of Genesis, you know that Isaac is Abraham's son. He's actually going to be born in Genesis chapter number 21, so we haven't talked too much about him. But we have talked about him a little bit. Isaac is Abraham's one. Uh, it's Abraham's son. Now look at Genesis chapter number 26 and look at verse 1. Genesis 26.1. This is very interesting to me. In Genesis 26.1, we find Isaac as a grown man. And look at what the Bible says. And there was a famine in the land, beside the first famine, which was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac, so this is Abraham's grown son, went unto Abimelech, the king of the Philistines, in or unto Gerar. Isn't that interesting? Where does Isaac go? The exact same place that Abraham went. He went to Abimelech, the king of the Philistines, unto Gerar. Exact same nation, exact same king. Drop down to verse 6. Look at where verse 6 says. And Isaac dwelt in Gerar. And the men of the place asked him of his wife. And he said, she is my sister. Doesn't that sound familiar? For he feared to say, she is my wife, lest, said he, the men of the place should kill me for Rebekah, because she was fair to look upon. Doesn't it sound like this is the same script? 
Look at verse 8. And it came to pass, when he had been there for a long time, that Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out a window and saw, and behold, Isaac was sporting with Rebekah, his wife. So he saw there that Isaac was kind of sporting. He might have been like kind of wrestling, just having fun with his wife. You know, and Abimelech just happens to look out a window. And he, see, he sees Isaac and, Re- and Rebekah, and they're just kind of messing around. They're kind of wrestling. You know, you know, when you're young and you're married, sometimes you might wrestle with your wife. Or whatever. He's sporting. They might be kissing, whatever. And Abimelech sees this, and he's like, whoa. I thought you said that was your wife. Yeah, I thought you said that was your sister. And then Abimelech's not dumb because he's thinking to himself, man, I've seen this before. You know, he's, he's thinking to himself, you know, same song, different verse. You know, it's the same thing. Abraham did it and now Isaac's doing it. And look what Abimelech says in verse 9. And Abimelech called Isaac and said, Behold. Now notice he's not asking. He's saying, Behold, of a surety she is thy wife. And how saidest thou she is my sister? And Isaac said unto him, Because I said, lest I die for her. And Abimelech said, What is this that thou, that thou hast done unto us? One of the people might have lightly have lied with thy wife, and thou shouldest have brought guiltiness upon us. And Abimelech charged all his people, saying, He that toucheth this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. So Abimelech already knows what's going to happen. He says, Look, if, you're, if somebody thinks that that's your sister, and they don't realize that she's married, they might lie with her, and you could have brought that guiltiness upon us, because he's remembering what happened with Abraham and Sarah. Because it's Abimelech. It's the king. It's the same guy. Isn't that interesting that the exact same thing would happen in the exact same place with the exact same people? But to, and here's the thing. When that happened with Abraham, Isaac wasn't even alive yet. So it's not like Isaac knew that that happened with Abimelech. But here's the thing. All over the Bible you'll find this principle. Where the children do the same sins of their fathers. The, your mom and dad have an issue with this. And not to continue with the subject of divorce, but there's a reason why. Look up the statistics if you want. People who come from a divorced family are more likely to get divorced than people who come from a family who's not divorced. People who come from a house where mom and dad smoke are more likely to smoke. People who come from a house where mom and dad drink alcohol are more likely to drink alcohol. Why? Because when you sin, for whatever reason, your kids pick up on it. Because your kids, you know, let me apologize to the kids. This morning I said kids are dumb. Kids aren't dumb. Kids, you know, you can't deceive a child. A child looks through your lies. A child can see through you. Like we said this morning, a child will know if your heart is turned towards them or not. And a child knows what you're up to. As much as you want to lie or hide it. And, but here's the thing. They just continue that sin. They do that same thing. So you've got to be careful how you raise your kids. It's amazing that Isaac, the son of Abraham, did the exact same thing that Abraham did. Even though he wasn't even alive when Abraham did it. Did it. You know, Isaac, in the same place, with Abimelech, the king of Gerar. And that's very interesting. So you better, you know, I'm just warning you right now. Be careful what you get into. Because your kids might get into that same sin. And they might perform the exact same thing at the exact same place. And you're going to look at it and be like, whoa, is this deja vu or what? Because it sounds like you're reading the same story. You know, if you just missed the name of Isaac, it sounds like the exact same thing. But anyway, go with me back to Genesis chapter number 20. Look at verse 3. We'll look, at, uh, we'll look at one more point and we'll be done. There's something else in this passage I want to preach about, but I'm going to get to it next week. Look at Genesis chapter number 20 and look at verse 3. This is, this is funny to me. It's not funny, but it's interesting. Genesis chapter number 20 and verse 3. The Bible says, But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night, and said to him, Behold, thou art but a dead man, for the woman which thou hast taken, for she is a man's wife. 
But Abimelech had not come near her. And he said, Lord, wilt thou slay also a righteous nation? Said he not unto me, she is my sister? And she even herself said, he is my brother. And look at what Abimelech says. In the integrity of my heart and innocency of my hands have I done this. And God said unto him in a dream, Yea, I know that thou didst this in the integrity of thine heart. For I also withheld thee from sinning against me. Therefore suffered I thee not to touch her. Now, let me ask you a few questions. Did Abraham do something wrong in this story? Yes, he did. He did something wrong because he lied. Now, let me show you something interesting about his lie. Look at verse 12 in Genesis 20, 12. The Bible says in Genesis 20, 12, and yet, this is what Abraham was saying to Abimelech. He said, and yet indeed she is my sister. She is the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. So Abimelech says, look, uh, you know, I didn't lie when I said she was my sister. I just didn't explain to you that she's also my wife. So Abraham's saying, like, it's kind of like a half lie. But you know what's interesting? A half lie is a full lie. Because the Bible says that, that the devil is the father of, the, of all lies. And you know what Satan does in the Bible? Remember in Genesis chapter number 3, when he comes to Eve, he doesn't say a full-blown lie. He takes a little bit of truth, mixes it with a little bit of lie. But a little bit of truth mixed in with a little bit of lie, it's just a full-blown truth. You know, that's why we're against these, you know, new international versions. And, uh, you know, these new versions of the Bible. You say, well, they just got a little bit of mistakes in it. Yeah, but a little bit of mistake with a little bit of truth is still a whole lie. You know, if I were to take a, a, a glass of water and fill it up to the top, and it's nice, cool, refreshing water. Ah, no, I'm just kidding. And you know, it's this full glass of water, right? And I would just to take a syringe and take one drop of sewer water. You know, it comes from the toilet. And just drop one drop of sewer water into this clean glass. You know? And I say, look, it's 99.99% clean Nice water. It's just one drop of sewer water. Would you want to drink it? No. But yet people say, well, there's just one thing wrong with this NIV Bible. It's the same principle. It's all filth. And if you take a whole lot of truth and add just a little bit of a lie, it's just all lies. So did Abraham sin? Yes. Did Abimelech sin? No. Because the Bible says he did it in the integrity of his heart, in the innocency of his hands. He didn't know that she was married. And God even agreed with him and said, you're right. You did do it in the integrity of your heart. You didn't know that she had sinned, that she was married, and that's why I um, I held you from actually having a relationship with her because I didn't want you to do something that was going to hurt you and cost you a lot of pain. But here's what you got to keep in mind: Who's the Christian in the story? Abraham or Abimelech? Abraham's a Christian. In fact, Abraham's the father of Christianity. You know, Abraham's like the main guy. You know, other than Jesus Christ of Christianity. Abimelech is the king of Gerar. He's a Philistine. He's a worldly, um, maybe unsaved. He may be saved. I don't know, but more than likely unsaved person. But who had more integrity and who had more righteousness and who had more character? The unsaved person or the saved person in the story? The unsaved. But you know what the sad thing is? That that's probably true of most Christians. And, and here's the sad thing. More Christian, more unsaved people have more integrity and more character than saved people. I don't mean to get off, I don't mean to continue on the subject, but it's just a perfect analogy. You know, I, uh, there, there's a, uh, I, I don't even know if I should bring this up because it's kind of embarrassing, but, um, I don't, there, there's a radio talk show host named Dr. Laura. I don't even think she's on the radio anymore. 
But uh, let me say this. I do not endorse Dr. Laura. I do not agree with Dr. Laura on 99% of things she says. Man, you know, the, few, the times I've listened to her, she's given the wrong advice to people. And she's not a Christian. She's not saved. She's, I think she was even a practicing Jew at one time. So I'm not endorsing Dr. Laura. But you know what? Dr. Laura gets on her radio show, which, which I don't know if she even has anymore, with millions of listeners. And you know that Dr. Laura will tell unsaved people that, that get a divorce? A divorce? She preaches to them. Millions of listeners. Unsaved people. Don't remarry. Focus on your children. Raise your kids and don't get remarried. And all these unsaved people call and say, Dr. Laura, I'm going to do what you said. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay, I'm, I'm not going to date, I'm not going to marry, I'm just going to invest in my children, I'm just going to love my children. And I'm thinking to myself, man, these unsaved people. And you know what the funny thing is? That I know hundreds, literally hundreds of Christians who have gotten divorced and don't have the same character to say, I'm going to invest in my kids and I'm going to love my kids. No, no, they want to go on their dating life. And it just astounds me that an unsaved Abimelech would have more integrity and more honesty and more character than Abraham. The father of faith. But that's how Christians are today. An unsaved person will say, I'm going to focus on my children. I'm not going to date. I'm, not, I'm just going to stay single. You know, and Dr. Lord will preach that to all these thousand people and make millions of dollars doing it. But the average Baptist pastor can't stand up behind the pulpit and have enough guts to preach what Jesus said. I mean, isn't that amazing to you? But yet we find here in Genesis chapter number 20 that Abraham was lying and Abimelech an unsafe Philistine. I mean, when we, get, when we get into 1st and 2nd Samuel, I mean, the Philistines, Goliath was a Philistine who David, you know, killed. I mean, the Philistines are bad people. And this unsaved king of the Philistine looks up to God and says, in the integrity of my heart, in the innocency of my hands, have I done this? And the saved individual says, I, I, and the sad thing is, it's not the first time they've done it. You know? And the sad thing in America, and, and, and we need to work, you know. The Bible says in, in, in Daniel chapter number 1, we saw there that uh, Daniel purposed in his heart not to defile himself with the king's meat. And you know at the end of the whole story, when they are all presented to the king, because all the other kids, there was hundreds of them. All of them just drank the alcohol. All of them just ate the meat that was sacrificed to idols. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Daniel, they purposed in their heart they weren't going to do it. And they actually figured out a way to not do it. And they ate a vegetarian meal instead of the food of the king. And the guard even said, he said, you know, I don't know about this because you're going to be weaker and you're going to look, you know, def deficient because you're having this meal and these guys are eating meat. But the Bible says that God performed a miracle and he made them stronger and fatter than the rest of the children. And when they were all presented to the king Nebuchadnezzar, you know what the king, who had never met any of them, talked to them for a few hours and you know what the king said about Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel, the four guys who purposed in their heart to have integrity, to have character, to do right, no matter what anybody else is doing. You know what they said about those four guys? This is what the king Nebuchadnezzar said. He said, I found them ten times better than all the rest. Isn't that amazing? He said, I found them ten times stronger. I found them ten times smarter. I found them ten times wiser. They were ten times better than all these other worldly people. You know what? You know what our goal ought to be at your workplace? This is what your goal, and you should have a bad attitude about it, but your goal ought to be, I'm going to have the type of work ethic, I'm going to be the type of worker, I'm going to show up early, I'm going to stay late, I'm going to do right, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work hard, and, I'm gonna, and, and, and you ought to have this mentality where the boss is going to look at you and say, you know what, that very bad 
Baptist church guy, that Christian, man, he's just... He's just ten times better than the rest. It just seems like he's... You know, that's what we were preaching about this morning. This morning, parenting with a purpose means you're going to raise your kids to not be average. They're going to be ten times better. They're going to be ten times better in their music. Ten times better in the way they talk. Ten times better in the things they do. Ten times better in what they accomplish. We ought to be better than the world. The people ought not look at the world and say, Man, those worldly kids are better than those Christian kids. You know, have you ever heard this? Don't ever do business with a Christian. That's a sad statement. People will say, I'd rather do business with an atheist, because I know he's going to be honest, than to do business with... You know where we, let, where we drop the ball there as Christians? Here's where we drop the ball. Abimelech has more integrity than Abraham. You know, we ought to live our lives as Christians, as the ambassadors of Jesus Christ, as the representatives of God Almighty. We need to live our lives just a step above the rest. And just say, you know what? I'm going to have the integrity. I'm going to have the character, and I want to be found ten times better than the rest. Let's bow our heads and I will be prepared. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you, Lord.